there are guidelines now specifically saying for patients during cancer treatment, physical activity should be a key component of treatment. Diz Runs Radio, episode 1176, starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Hey, y'all, real quick before we dive into today's episode of the show, today's episode is brought to you by Be Ready on Race Day. If you're you're new around these parts, that's a book I wrote a few years ago. If you've been around for a while, you've heard me talk about Be Ready on Race Day before. Hopefully, you already have your copy. If you don't have it yet, what are you waiting for? Basically, what I tried to do with the book, I think to a pretty decent level of success, is map out step-by-step what I do when I work with somebody as a coach so you can take the book and realistically write your own comprehensive customized training plan for the next race that's on your schedule and you know not for nothing but you can then use that book the next race and the next race and the next race to keep tweaking your plans making them your own hopefully advancing as your fitness continues to advance maybe as you set your goals a little bit higher Uh, but one way or the other you've got the blueprint of not only how to put the plan together but maybe most importantly how to adapt the plan when uh life I don't want to say inevitably happens, but life inevitably happens. So, you know, how to put the plan together, how to adjust when necessary to get to the starting line, ready to go, ready to get after it, ready to get that time goal PR, or just to have a good old time, cruise along, have fun, party, party pace with no worries about whether or not you'll get there. So if if you're in the market for a little help with putting your plan together, creating your own plan, maybe you want to take a one-size-fits-all plan and tweak it and adjust it and make it your own, Be Ready on Race Day will help you do that. And you can get a copy on Amazon. You can get a copy for your Kindle or a print, ver- print copy as well. Um, you can also head over to BeReadyOnRaceDay.com. It's a page on my website. Uh, get a couple sample chapters if you're not convinced yet. If you want to you take, take about a, a quarter of the book for a spin, you can do that there. Be ready on racedaycom is the website. You can also get a signed copy if you're so inclined. If, if if you think that my signature will help you be more ready on race day, I'll put it in the book for you. You can get yourself a copy there. Be ready on racedaycom or on Amazon. So search for Be Ready on Race Day. Now, without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive in to today's episode of the show. Hey, y'all. Uh, today's guest is a lady that is pretty passionate about lifestyle medicine and the benefits of exercise to our overall health and wellness, which uh, means that, that I think on a lot of areas, at least as far as that is concerned, we, we might be singing from the same hymn, hymn book, um, but she's she's at a little different level than me because she's a, an oncologist specializing in uh, breast cancer, and um, but she uses that platform to, to also talk to her patients about, again, being active and what that does to their health and how that can help them work through their cancer diagnosis, hopefully coming out healthy on the, on the other side. Um, and she also, maybe most importantly, I don't know, maybe not most importantly, but also importantly, uh, she does what she can to practice what she preaches uh, along the way with being active and living a healthy lifestyle. Uh, for the past decade, uh, 10 years straight, she's run the Boston Marathon as a charity runner, running for different charities. Um, I think each year, I don't know, we can get into that a little bit as we go, but certainly running for several charities over the years. Um, so she's got a, a fondness for the Boston Marathon. She lives and works in Boston. 
Um, but needless to say, lots of things to talk about today. So let's get this party started and officially welcome uh, Dr. Amy Commander to the show. So thanks for joining us today, Amy. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, looking looking forward to it. And y'all, if you want to follow along with uh, Amy and what she's got going on, and and you know maybe some some medical stuff and some some running stuff, and who knows what other kind of stuff she shares. You know, everybody's sharing all the things on social media. Uh, she makes it pretty simple. Same handle, both places, and it's it's her name with the doctor in front. So D R Amy A M Y Commander C O M A N D E R on both Instagram and Twitter. You can follow Dr. Amy there, both places, or whichever one is better for you. Um, all kinds of good stuff on the social media is from Amy. And of course, we'll have everything linked up today in the show notes, as we always do. Some, you know, Try to scrounge up a few photos, maybe some links, whatever else we talk about that makes sense to connect to the, into, this, into the show notes today, along with social media handles as well. Uh, Dizruns.com slash 1176. Dizruns.com slash 1176. We'll get you back to the show notes for today. Links galore as per usual. So, Amy, the way we always uh, start off each episode of the show is with a, a pretty simple question that sometimes it's an easy one to answer. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult because, quite frankly, there's a lot of good choices out there. But one way or the other, it kind of tees off the conversation, then we kind of take it from there. And that's just to simply ask, what is your favorite distance to race and why? Wow. Well, that is a tough question, and I do have to give that some thought. But I will say, and maybe it's a little bit of a crazy answer, but I actually do love the marathon. All right. And I can go into a little bit why. Um, certainly, it's a big undertaking. And when I ran my first marathon, I guess it was over 10 years ago now, I was certainly very intimidated and fearful about taking on such a big challenge. And my kids were a lot younger at that time, too. And I have a pretty demanding job. But I was really excited to have the opportunity to do this and also honor the memory of my mother, who sadly had passed away from an aggressive cancer back in 2011. And so I do feel like, you know, running the marathon really is a celebration of life. As the Peloton instructor, Jess Sims says, we get to do this. And I do truly feel that way. It is really such a great honor that one can train for a marathon, run for a cause that one is passionate about, you know, obviously, you know, enhance one, you know, your own personal health while you're doing it and set a big goal. And so I have to say, I do love the marathon. Hey, you're, you're talking to a bunch of runners, Amy. So that's not a, that's not a crazy, <laughs> like we, we, I don't, I don't classify it as crazy until we start talking about hundred K hundred miles. Like those people True. are crazy, but marathons True. like, yeah, that's, 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 that's all right around here. Good. I'm so glad um, that you agree. And I also think of one of my favorite running mantras, which I attribute to Ambi Burfoot. He stated, every mile out there is a gift and every finish line is a gift. And I always keep that in mind. And I think it really helps me get through marathon training and certainly on race day as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, Lord knows, you know, kind of kind of like like you know, Jess Sims with, with, uh, we get to do this and, and right. uh, with everything being a gift, some days it doesn't always feel like it, but at the end of the day, you know, after you're finished, at least for me, like some days like, gosh, I don't really know if I really want to, but then by the time I'm done, I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty glad I did that. And, and you're right. It is, it is a gift for sure. Um, how'd you start in the sport, Amy? Is it something that, you know, I, I, like you said, first marathon, um, you know, 12, 12 ish years ago, something like that. Um, but had you been running much before that or, or where'd you first dip your toes into the running waters? Yeah, so I was always into running for exercise, I would say, probably 
that started in high school. Um, I grew up in Savannah, Georgia, actually, and there was like a nice sort of path through my neighborhood that actually I started running with my dad many years ago when he was a runner. Um, and just for fun and for exercise, I was never a serious athlete by any means. In fact, I had pretty bad asthma as a kid, so that was never something I was really serious about in terms of competing. And I continued running through college and medical school, again, just for fun and as a way to relieve stress and get in some exercise. Um, but honestly, I never took on any races like a half marathon or a marathon really until, I mean, I was actually out of my medical training living here in Boston and then busier than ever. And that's when I decided to take it on. So it's kind of funny as I reflect on that. But I did go to college here in Boston and I would tell my friends, someday I'm going to run the Boston Marathon. And I think they all looked at me and they're like, great. Yeah, we'll believe it when we see it. <laughs> And, and yet, you know, as, as, as happens, you know, here we are 10, 10, 10 Boston's later, uh, having a chat, but, um, interesting that, that you said, or, you know, interesting, maybe in hindsight, um, you know, at the, at the busiest points of life, or at least, you know, when things really start getting busy, that's when you start training for some of these races, or I guess maybe it's always busy, but whatever, you know, it, it would, in theory, could have been easier to train for some races a little bit earlier before things got as crazy. What was, what was the, the impetus to maybe dip your toes into some races beyond, you know, obviously you're enjoying running, you'd been doing it. Um, but, but you know, any, any particular reason to go, you know what, I want to strap a bib on and pay to go run as opposed to just walk out the door and go for a run. I know it's such a great question as I reflect on that. And, you know, my first Boston Marathon, actually, I ran for the team at Mass General Hospital where I work. Um, shout out to Dr. Howard Weinstein, who who's the chief of pediatric hematology oncology and started this amazing team, I want to say 30 years ago now. And I was you know, I saw an email that one could apply to join this team and run the Boston Marathon to support children um, facing a diagnosis of cancer. And there's no better cause than that, right? So I was like, I should just sign up and do this. I've always wanted to do it. And I think my husband looked at me like I was a little crazy, but he's always been supportive. So I did. And again, that was now a little over 10 years ago. And it was such an incredible experience. And of course, like many of us, I got hooked at that time. Hooked to the Boston Marathon specifically or to, <laughs> to races in general? Um, good point. I think <laughs> I love the Boston experience as crazy and hard as it is and training through winter is obviously no small feat. Um, but the whole concept of racing for fun in general, again, I'm not super competitive. You know, I only compete with myself, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners would relate to that too. But um, yeah, I think I just love the whole process of, you know, training for a race being part of that big day, the anticipation, um, and all the wonderful people you meet along the way. So, um, so honestly, I did it over 10 years ago, and I've been certainly running Boston every year for, ch for charity, I want to say, since that time, and of course, many other races as well. Being that, that you, um, you know, like you said, you've gone to school in Boston, you're living in Boston, you're, you're practicing medicine in Boston, um, how, how, like, what would other than being in Boston, I guess, is, is maybe the, the clunky way of getting to this question. How important was the Boston Marathon to you as, as you know, an adopted Bostonian, I guess, before you ran that first race? Like, was it, was it a real big deal to you or was it just something like, yeah, I know it happens in the city every year and it's on, you know, Patriots Day, Marathon Monday and, and it's a thing. But like, like, was there a massive connection before you ran it that first time? 
Well, you know, being an undergrad in Boston, as you noted, and just living here for so many years, it's such a big deal here. I mean, the Boston Marathon, right? It's the oldest marathon held here in the United States since 1897. Contemplate that, right? And Patriots Day, like every, you know, not everyone's off, but a lot of people are off and there's so much enthusiasm and excitement and the city really comes alive. And I always loved that vibe if I was, you know, watching the marathon and I loved watching the elites and all of the runners, including the folks, you know, who were running near the end, um, you know, for, you know, every athlete I would love to cheer for. And so I think I just had it in me that I really want to do this. And I still love it so much. And I often contemplate, am I going to do it again next year? Because obviously, it's such a, you know, it's a lot to fundraise each year and to train in the Boston winters. But then I think about how would I feel on Patriots Day if I were not running. And I think, you know, I would feel sad. So that's why I keep doing it. I just absolutely love every aspect of it. Gotcha. Um, I, I have mentioned several times on here. It's, it's, it's well known for folks that have been listening for a while that uh, running Boston is definitely one of my, my big goals. And, and sometimes I, I almost, I don't want to say I worry, but like maybe in the back of my head, there's this, there's this little worry of like, I keep building it up as this big thing. And, you know, eventually I got to get a little bit older and a little bit faster and I can, I can BQ. Um, but, but, you know, there's always that, that, again, in the back of my head, there's maybe that little bit of voice of like, what if it doesn't live up to your expectations, which I don't think will be the case, but you know, you set, keep setting those expectations higher and, and you know, that, that mountain gets, gets steeper to climb. But all that to say, you know, again, being around the city, being there and, and knowing it was a big deal. Um, the first, the first time running Boston marathon, did it, did it meet and exceed your expectations? I'm assuming it probably did since you've done it, you know, every year since then. But like, like what was that first Boston experience like as a, as a runner? Oh, yeah, it was so incredible. I mean, I look back on pictures from that first Boston Marathon, because of course, I did stop many times along the way to take pictures with my husband and my kids. And I had many patients cheering for me along the course. In fact, you're gonna laugh. But like the night before I run Boston, I make a list of every place where someone tells me they will be cheering for me. So I will know to look for them and stop for a picture. It actually has become very stressful over the years. So I'm trying to kind of not do that as much and just focus on running and enjoying it and hopefully seeing folks along the way. But um, I do remember from that particular day, by the way, that was the year after the marathon bombing. I want to acknowledge that as well. That was the first Boston, I went to say 2014, right? So it was a glorious day. The sun was out. It was just absolutely amazing. And it really felt like Boston was taking this day back. We are back. And it was such a special day and I will never forget it. Yeah, I bet. I mean, I, I remember... Um, you know, I mean, we've been watching the Boston Marathon for for at least a handful of years at that point, and just you know, it was still it was still a goal, you know, in 2014. I mean, it's still a goal now, almost 10 years later. Goodness gracious! But like, like I just remember thinking, like, gosh, like how cool. I mean, obviously, 2013 was terrible with the with the bombing, um, but to come back that next year, like, like I can only imagine how how the vibe must have been, the excitement, like just, you know, and to your point, like, like the city kind of saying we're, we're, we're officially back and the race is back and this is happening. Um, so yeah, for that to be the first one, that's, that's, that's a pretty, pretty high bar. Although I, I again, I kind of have the feeling that, that every year it, it, it meets the bar, no matter, no matter, uh, you know, what the weather, what the conditions, what the situation's like, it's, it's just, it's, it's the Boston marathon, you know, like that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So such a special day. It really is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
you know, you kind of talked about in there is, is one of the challenges of getting ready for the race every year is is doing the fundraising. And, and when I'm talking to, to charity runners, I always um, like to ask a little bit about, about the fundraising piece because I, I – Finally, uh, a couple of years ago, did my first race as a charity runner because I was always held back by the, the, the fear of, you know, asking for the money, asking for the donations, things like that. And so I love talking to folks who have done especially multiple races um, as charity runners and, and talking about kind of what, have, what are some of the things that have worked for you for raising money? Because, you know, whether whether it's, you know, a race like Boston, where sometimes it's a pretty, pretty significant dollar figure or whether it's you know whatever some some other races where it might quote unquote only be five hundred dollars or whatever but still it's still five hundred dollars it's still not nothing um how have you you know kind of gone about raising the money year after year to keep running the boston marathon that's such a great question and you're absolutely right i think many people are intimidated by the idea of fundraising and it is hard to ask for money i fully agree so even you know when i i i always look for very creative fun ways to do the fundraising so for many years prior to covid i was fortunate to um partner with this wonderful local wine store here in boston shout out to the urban grapes in the south end they have a beautiful location um and they were so kind to allow me to host a ladies night out wine and chocolate tasting for those first few years prior to covid um one of my friends um, Anya Zelfond, who has a business called The Gourmet Boutique, has the best chocolate ever, if you're ever in Boston. So she kindly donated chocolate. The Urban Grape provided wine. And then I would get a bunch of local businesses to donate some fun items that, you know, my friends would like. And back then it might have been things like, you know, a month's membership to a local gym or a session with a personal trainer or you know, a week at a local camp. Like a lot of businesses were so happy to donate things for an important cause. And at that time I was running for the MGH Pediatric HEMOC program. So I had like a silent auction with all of those items at this fun location and my friends would come out every year. In fact, people looked forward to that party every year. That's how much we enjoyed it. So, and actually I would raise most of the money I needed to raise at that one time, which was amazing, right? Um, so I loved doing that. Of course, then in 2020, unfortunately, I had to think of something novel and innovative to do for fundraising because we couldn't have a big party in a wine store. Um, and by the way, 2020, as we know, Boston was postponed and held as a virtual race that September, which was a big deal. But I still wanted to fundraise that year. I was running for the Ellie Fund, which we can talk about. So I decided to use Zoom. We all became so familiar with Zoom and we did some fun events over Zoom. You know, we did a yoga class on Zoom. I had, you know, a friend give a talk about running over Zoom. We just did a few fun things that way. And they were also fundraising events. So in the end, it all worked out. But I will acknowledge fundraising is a challenge. So I think it's important to be creative and think about how can you, you know, make it fun and exciting for people who might want to donate? Yeah. And, and I don't know that I've ever had this connected these dots before. Maybe I have, and, and I can't remember, but um, it kind of sounds like, especially if, if you kind of have an idea that you're probably going to, you know, whether it's, it's Boston or whether I know people that have fundraised for Disney every year or for New York, every whatever, whatever the case might be. Um, if you're going to do that kind of every year and you can come up with a pretty cool idea, like you're, chocolate and wine tasting idea um you know it might be a lot of work the first I mean, i'm sure it's a lot of work every year but 
once once it kind of picks up a little bit of steam, and like you said, you know, your friends are almost looking forward to it every year. Um, you know, if you can find that that good hook and you're doing it annually, that might almost be easier because they're, ex- I don't want to say they're expecting it, but they're expecting it. They're looking forward to it. They're happy to give. They know you're going to be what you're doing and what you're running for um, versus when you do it the one off like I did where people were still very happy to give and, and, and I was able to, to raise the money that I needed. Um, but maybe maybe there'd be more momentum to do that annually as I guess what I'm trying to get at, just kind of thinking out loud. Yeah. Yeah, I do think, you know, in 2020, my friends were very disappointed. We're not having the fundraiser. And I'm like, I know it was just such a fun, you know, we're all so busy. And back then, you know, my kids were a lot younger and a lot of my friends had kids. And it was just such a nice opportunity to get out of the house and go to this fancy wine store and dress up and again, eat chocolate (laughs) and um, support a great cause. And um, my friends did actually miss it. And so um, people do look forward to it. So I would say to your listeners, think of a creative way to do your fundraiser and people will love it and they will want to come back. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So talking to, going, going back to continue to talk a little bit about uh, the, the pandemic time or the, the, the 2020 year of, of Boston. Um, you know, I, th- I think a lot of us, or at least some of us did, did various virtual events that year because that was, that was kind of the option, at least, you know, from mid March on through the end of the year. Like that was, that was pretty much what we had to, to choose from. Um, and, and I don't know, this is just me speaking for me. Um, a virtual marathon is tough. Like I could do a virtual half, you know, I could do, I could do some of the shorter stuff for, for virtual type of distances, but like grinding out 26.2 miles or, or longer, heaven, heaven knows some folks did, you know, ultras virtually. Um, that's just, that's just a slog. Uh, I mean, 26.2 on a, on a race course can be a bit of a slog sometimes with, with support and and aid stations and people cheering, but by yourself, goodness. Um, so all that to say, you know, obviously it was a whole different experience for all of us that year in terms of races and, and, and whatnot. But, um, how did, how did virtual Boston shake out for you? I, yeah, so I'm happy to share that story. I actually, first of all, the spring of 2020 was such a challenging time for all of us. And I will say as a physician, it was extremely challenging You know, here at MGH where we played a key role in, you know, facing the pandemic and caring for these very sick patients. And I'm obviously very honored that I had the opportunity to take a part in that. But, you know, the Boston Marathon, that being canceled and then delayed was you know, pretty devastating. I know it's kind of a very superficial thing to have worried about at that time. But, you know, I remember I was in clinic, you know, dealing with all the stressors of this emerging pandemic. And then there's the email that the marathon's canceled. (laughs) And then then they say it'll be postponed to a virtual race in September. And my first thought was like, well, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. I'm not training in the summer. You know, it's so funny how we have these opinions about the different seasons. But anyway, um, then that day, I, ha- I happened to meet a colleague in clinic who I don't, I didn't know so well, Dr. Gabby Hobbs. Shout out to her. She's a leukemia expert at MGH. She was also planning to run her very first Boston Marathon for charity that year. And she was also devastated that Boston was being postponed. So then we decided we would train together and ultimately run the virtual race together in September on the marathon course because we live here. So we did make it a fun thing. She and I trained together that summer along with another friend of ours, um, Nancy Ling, who's also, she's a pulmonologist. We would train through that summer and we actually ran the virtual marathon together on the course 
with some spectators along the way. So that actually did make it fun, I have to say. But I hear you. It is so hard to do these virtual races. There weren't many other virtual races I was really able to do over those few years. I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I think I think I, I remember there was a lot of at the beginning of, you know, kind of early pandemic or at least in the summertime, um, spring and summer, like people were, I don't want to say excited, but like, all right, this is what we got to do. This is what we got to do. But there was, there was like a, a virtual race fatigue that kind of built up as, as the, the time progressed. And, um, man, it just, you know, like I said, it's, it's one thing to go out and, and cruise for 20 minutes for, or 30 minutes or whatever for a 5k or for a couple hours. But man, you start talking three and a half, four and a half, five hours, Oh, that's just, I know. I, I mean, I've, I've done it. I, I, I did it during the pandemic. I did it. You know, I, I had a goal a few years ago of running a marathon every month and, and probably about half wow. the months were races and about half the months were just going out from the front door and, you know, getting back 26.2 miles later. And those, those were just, they're just a slog. Cause it's just you know, very impressive you know, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Foolish, maybe equal parts, impressive and foolish, but, um, what you so so kind of just continue along the timeline. Let me get off of Boston here in a second, but I, I you just I love talking about Boston, even though I yeah, me it yet. too. <laughs> um, so so the the pandemic year you run it virtual in 2020, 2021. Anybody that's paying was paying close enough attention to Boston knows that it didn't happen in the spring, but it was it was a fall Boston that year. Um, you know, good to be back. I'm I'm assuming good to be back and and running and and you know even though it was a little bit smaller field, but you know people were there. Um, but what was, what was the big difference for you? Maybe, maybe it's training through the summer again. I don't know, but, um, fall Boston versus, versus the, the annual typical spring Boston. Yeah, such a great question. Again, I know that was the first and only fall Boston marathon in history since 1897. So it was a big deal. Um, you know, I I don't love training in the summer. It's funny. We complain about the winter. Um, the summer is obviously challenging, too, as I'm sure you would agree. But I did train a lot with my friend, Dr. Hobbs and Dr. Nancy Lang. So that made it fun. Um, but, you know, and actually... You know, I feel like running in October, the weather that day was really nice. It was actually perfect weather for a Boston Marathon. But I'm still loyal to Patriots Day. Like, that is the day that's meant to be the day for the Boston Marathon. So, to be honest, I was so excited when it did happen again the following April. But it was special to do that. And I'm still so grateful to the BAA that they did make it happen that October. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that it was able to able to happen and... and um obviously now the last couple of years it's been, it's been back to the spring. So all is, all is once again, right with the Boston marathon world. Um, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully stays that way for another hundred and whatever, right. 125 odd years, 126 years. Uh, and, and, and on beyond that. So this past year you ran for the, the Ellie fund. And it, it, I think you said in there that you ran for the Ellie fund a, a time or two before. Um, tell us a little bit about that, that organization, because it's, it's one of those, um, quite frankly, at least for me, it's, it's an organization I never heard before, but it sounds like they do great work. I'd love to hear more about them. Yeah, so I would say for those who are listening who want to run Boston and consider running for a charity, there are so many great causes out there. So I would encourage your listeners to explore them. And a lot of the teams you apply actually after Labor Day. So there is a bit of a process. But the Ellie Fund is a wonderful nonprofit organization based in Massachusetts, actually, which really um, provides supportive care and services to those diagnosed with breast cancer in Massachusetts. So we know, you know, I work at Mass General, I can provide my patients cutting edge treatment, access to trials, etc. But there are also basic things like transportation to that appointment, 
help with groceries, help with childcare, et cetera. So the LA Fund provides those types of key supportive care services that our patients desperately need. And therefore, I've been on the board of their um, of this organization for a few years now. And so they only get two marathon numbers a year. Hopefully that will increase for this year. But I've really been honored to have the opportunity to run um, to support the LA Fund for the past few years. And it's just been extremely rewarding. And they are amazingly supportive, too. At mile 20, they always have, you know, they're always out there cheering. And that's a time when we all need cheering in a marathon. So I just I just have loved um, being part of this organization and running to support them. Gotcha. Um yeah, oh, mile twenty. That's 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 a whole that's a whole key yeah, right there. Especially Heartbreak Hill. Uh-huh. Although after mile twenty, it does get better, but still painful. But <laughs> yeah. well, but and and again, you know, kind of going back to to virtual or running by yourself, like what one of the one of the perks of of running an in person race, whether you know the people that are at mile twenty, mile twenty one or not, um, just having you know people out there cheering and 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 yeah, if it can be something that's a little bit. Um, pertinent to you because it's a charity organization you can stage some some family there or whatever the case might be um yeah having that that little pick me up at that at that point in the race when all you want to do is be finished with the bloody thing um kind of a, kind of a nice little boost to to get you home on that last 10k absolutely so necessary for sure for sure um taking a, a little pivot here amy um where where or when maybe maybe it's always been the case but uh when did you decide to kind of, you know, go the, the medical route, go, you know, go to go to med school, get, a, get into medicine as, as your chosen profession? Has that always been uh, uh, part of your, your kind of plan since, since the early days or kind of how did, how did that come about? Yeah, that's such a great question. You know, I grew up in Georgia. I mentioned that. And my dad, we ended up in Georgia because actually my dad was in the Army um, and he and my mom were originally New Yorkers, actually, but then they ended up in Georgia, and my dad was a doctor in the Army, and so he often had lots of very interesting stories that he would share with us over the dinner table, and so I think from a young age, I was like, I'm going to be a doctor, too, and so I kind of always had that in my mind, Um, but it's funny. In college, I really got interested in neuroscience and thought I would actually go into research and be a neuroscientist um, and maybe combine that with medicine, but Ultimately, obviously, along the way in medical school, we have so many different experiences, and I did find that I truly enjoyed um, caring for patients with a cancer diagnosis, and when I was in med school, it was also a very exciting time, as it continues to be in terms of all the developments and advances we've made in the field of oncology for treating patients with cancer. So um, so that's kind of how I ended up in oncology. It was, you know, we don't always do exactly what we think we're going to do when we start college and medical school, but um, it's actually a very rewarding field. And um, I'm very grateful to be able to do what I do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and um, I feel like, and please correct me where I'm, I'm wrong, because Lord knows that's, that's happened, I think, once in my life where I was wrong. So you know, <laughs> if, it, if it happens a second time today, feel free to correct me. Um, but, but I, I kind of feel like just about anything in health and, and, and I think cancer has to be, you know, chief among them, but again, probably it's, it's a lot broader than that where, where prevention, you know, beats cure if, if at all possible, um, which I guess is kind of, you know, trying to get me into the, the question, or at least maybe talking a little bit about kind of lifestyle medicine and, and yeah. just benefits of being active. Um, and, and, you know, again, this is maybe painted with a bit of a broad brush and maybe it's a little bit unfair, but I think sometimes, and, and I don't know, maybe you'll, maybe you'll agree with this too, but I think sometimes um, there's, there's a 
hesitation about, oh, if I just go to the doctor, they're just going to throw med- or throw pills at me, you know, for various things, maybe not for cancer, but for some things like, and I just don't, I don't want to take pills. I want to, I want to solve the problem versus, versus find the solution. And, and it sounds to me like lifestyle medicine is hopefully more often than not trying to, trying to find that solution. So I guess all that, all that to say, you're kind of clunkily getting there. Um, kind of, kind of talk, talk to us a little bit about kind of your, your, your view and, and your experiences with, um, you know, kind of lifestyle medicine in general, and then we'll maybe kind of drill down as we go, and I'll think of maybe a, a better question than, than what I'm giving you right now, which hopefully you can make something useful out of. No, that's absolutely a great question, and we do know, you know, how did I get interested in lifestyle medicine? You know, we've talked through this discussion today. You know, I was a runner from a young age and always really interested in the role of physical activity, both for myself and, of course, for my patients. I'm also, I follow a plant-based diet, and I'm also really interested in other lifestyle changes we can make to improve our health. And so I learned about this whole field of lifestyle medicine as an oncology attending at Mass General by attending a conference here in Boston, um, sponsored by the Institute of Lifestyle Medicine and Harvard Medical School, where I really learned about this field, which is using evidence-based tools about the role of lifestyle interventions to help prevent and treat chronic diseases. And at this conference, I was like, wow, these tools are so important to help provide education about how we can reduce risk of cancer and other chronic diseases in the first place, what you were getting at, prevention, but also for individuals who have cancer, wow, these tools can really help optimize health, well-being, and in some cases, data suggests outcome. So that's how I really got into this field, and it's been really exciting because there is so much emerging data really supporting the role of lifestyle factors for individuals who have cancer and who are trying to obviously improve their health the best way they can. So, so this has been a great way to integrate my interest, you know, with the lifestyle factors and of course, oncology. Right. Um, this, this might be another terrible question, which is something I'm, I'm fairly well known for and, and making, making, <laughs> showing, showing off my ability to ask poor questions today. Um, and, and I say maybe it's a, it's a poor question because I, I don't know that there is a right answer here. But again, I'm going to ask you and, and let you decide if, if uh, there is a right answer or not. But um, I feel like, you know, in, in the in the health and fitness space, um, you know, if you're talking to runners, you're talking to endurance athletes, it's like, yeah, man, you know, like strength training is good. But like cardio, cardio fitness, building the endurance, those types of things, uh, zone two a lot. You know, I'm a, I'm a heart rate training guy, so I'm always talking about running, running at a low intensity and things like that. Um, you know, that's, that's the way. And then you talk to more folks that are in more of the strength training field or, or kind of, um, you know, a little bit more into, into like maybe CrossFit, things like that. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's good to have a little bit of aerobic fitness, but, uh, you know, strength training, building muscle mass, like that's, that's key, especially as we get older, having muscle strength, muscle mass important. Um, to me, I think I try to straddle the fence and say both are pretty important. Um, but, but from a, from a, exercise working out perspective with the, with the lens on kind of lifestyle medicine uh, that, that you're coming at it from is one better than the other? Is it, is it definitely a both and that we need or kind of, kind of, how should we, you know, we all have, we're all busy. We all have limited times and you're talking to runners. So we all like to run. Um, how important is it to, to kind of balance our, our exercise diet, if you will? 
Such a great question and certainly an area of great controversy. What is better, strength training or cardio, right? And a hard one to tackle. I will say, you know, the, you and the folks listening to this podcast, we're in the small minority of folks who are actually, you know, we're embracing physical activity. We love running. We are totally dedicating time to it. But we know, unfortunately, that a significant proportion of the population in the United States does not meet the basic physical activity guidelines, you know, that have been established established by numerous organizations, which are really 150 minutes of moderate aerobic activity each week and two strength training sessions each week. So that's the baseline. I know most of us are getting there, okay? But um, it's such a great question. And I do think, I mean, my answer, I think they both have such an important role, you know, as a woman who is, you know, perimenopausal, I'm definitely trying to make sure I do at least two to three strength training sessions a week since I know my muscle mass is unfortunately declining every day. So, and that's so important both for my overall health and to be, to prevent injury as a runner and to be a better runner. But I truly love running and I don't want to give that up. So I think my message would be all of it is important. Really do what you love. I mean, there's some people like you and me who truly love running and want to do it for as long as we can. And of course, want to avoid injury as well. Um, and therefore, of course, the strength training helps with that. And there are some people who hate cardio and just love working out in the gym and lifting weights. Um, but obviously, cardio is still so important for cardiovascular health. So I would say do what you love. I don't think there's an absolute right or wrong answer in terms of which one is better. I hope that helps address your question. No, it, it does. And, and I think I think maybe something that, that you said in there um, kind of right towards the beginning is is you know, recognizing that as, as runners and, and I mean, again, you can, you can paint this broader to as, as anybody who's active on a consistent basis, whether it's strength, whether it's cardio, whether it's a combination, um, like, yeah, we are probably the, the, the minority. And we, we don't think about that necessarily because we're, we're in the bubbles of runners or CrossFitters or, or whatever. Uh, and it kind of just looks like everybody does that kind of stuff, but, but we don't, or, you know, it's maybe not the, the right. case that, that, the broader population has the same likelihood of, you know, running marathons or, or things like that, 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 that we do. Um, but at the same time, and, and this is me adding, adding my two cents to, to the answer. Um, you know, if there's ways to improve it, and even if you don't really much like strength training, but if you can be like, Oh, that's going to help me run more or run faster or run healthier. Like maybe that's one of those, you know, eat your vegetable type of things where like, all right, a couple of strength sessions is going to help me with my running or a couple of running sessions is going to help me at, at the CrossFit games or whatever. Um, so that we, we get that, that balance a little bit more, even if we don't particularly like it, it's good for us. So, so do it, eat your vegetables, right. kids. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And definitely eat your vegetables. I like yeah. that comment too. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Um, talking, talking a little bit more specifically about, um, or at least maybe not, I don't know whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get to the point eventually in a roundabout way as per usual. But, um, you know, for, for you as, as an oncologist and, and, um, you know, coming at you talking with your patients about lifestyle factors and trying to be as healthy, I'm, I'm assuming kind of holistically as possible. Um, but I guess, I guess where I'm trying to go with this is that, you know, you can, you can do all you can to try to prevent whether it's cancer, whether it's neurogenitive disease, all, all, all the things that can happen to us as we get older and systems start to shut down or fail or, or go a little bit haywire or whatever the case might be with the different maladies that are out there. Um, you know, you can do all the things, but you can't necessarily guarantee that it's going to prevent cancer or whatever else might be the case. So I guess the, the question is, um, 
while we can't prevent everything, how much does it help coming into cancer, coming into whatever, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's, you know, whatever other things might be out there, um, having a certain level of fitness from being a runner, from doing, doing activities, uh, to try to help with the healing and recovery process. Um, and obviously, you know, it's, it's, everybody's unique and it's, it's, we're, we're talking, you know, broad brush here, but in general, how much does that help on the, on the other end of a cancer diagnosis or other, you know, health issue? Yes, such a great question. Um, so many questions that you raised here. I do just want to say as an oncologist, I can say, and this is data from the World Health Organization, we do think that about one in three deaths from cancer are unfortunately, in fact, related to lifestyle factors mm-hmm. such as tobacco use, high body mass index, excessive alcohol use, you know, a poor diet with low fruit and vegetable intake, and lack of physical activity. So if you just think about that, one in three deaths from cancer are potentially due to these lifestyle factors. So we could make such an improvement in health around the world if we're able to really um, counteract these factors. Um, so that's just one point I wanted to make. And then secondly, you were saying if someone is physically fit, you know, they're a runner, and unfortunately they do get cancer because, as we know, the causes of cancer are multifactorial. There are people can you can be a marathon runner and a vegan and get enough sleep each night and do all the right things and unfortunately still get a cancer diagnosis. It does happen. There's so much more we still need to understand in terms of the causes of cancer. But yes, being physically active is very much in your favor. In fact, guidelines from our major organization in oncology, which is called the American Society of Clinical Oncology, there are guidelines now specifically saying for patients during cancer treatment, physical activity should be a key component of treatment. Patients should be encouraged to continue with moderate aerobic activity and strength training during treatment. And why is this? We know that the exercise obviously helps individuals tolerate their treatments better, fewer side effects, less need for dose reductions of treatments, but also there's this whole emerging exciting field called exercise oncology, really trying to understand the mechanisms at a molecular level. What is exercise doing in the body that potentially has anti-cancer effects as well? So this is a really exciting field. And if you ask me, what do I want to be when I grow up? I love the concept of being an exercise oncologist. And maybe I am headed that way someday. We'll see. But I love your questions. Oh, I, 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 I love that idea of exercise oncology. And, and um, forgive me if I'm asking a question that we don't know the answer to yet, which I guess has been the case all the time. But um, are, are, there, are there any thoughts coming out of that field now or, or any, you know, I mean, maybe is not nailed down yet, but, but why exercise is, does play such a role in, in helping to, if I, if I heard you correctly, almost potentially yeah. helping to combat cancer? Yeah, I mean, this is an area, you know, when I go to our major cancer meetings, there's always now talks on exercise oncology showing us the latest data, both from maybe, you know, clinical trials, but also perhaps in animal models, helping us understand the molecular mechanisms. For example, and this is something I'm trying to learn more about myself, but when muscles contract, they release substances called myokines, which are essentially substances released by muscle that potentially can have effects on a tumor to cause something called apoptosis or cell death. There's also potentially ways that exercise augments our immune system. Um, There's a type of cell in our immune system called natural killer cells, which also have a key role in helping um, 
fight off cancers and therefore there may be you know improvements in our immune system secondary to exercise so there's so many of course weight management unfortunately we know that adult weight gain obesity is also a poor prognostic factor um, when it comes to cancer unfortunately and but therefore helping address that issue is also very important for individuals with cancer both for prevention and for people who unfortunately have a cancer diagnosis. So this is really a very active field, lots of interest in this area. And so um, definitely if your listeners are interested, please feel free to reach out because I'd love to share further resources about this. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I, I never, you know, had never heard of that, but that's, that's another reason to go for a run. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As if we needed those. Um, are, are there, is there evidence um, yet, and again, maybe it's very still much in the emergent phase, so maybe there's not enough to, to draw even any sort of potential conclusion, but in terms of uh, certain cancers that maybe exercise is better for in terms of preventing or helping to resolve than others, because I know that that's the case with medications and some of the research and things like that, that they're finding that, that this cancer responds well to whatever, this type of medicine or this type of situation, but it doesn't work the same in another type of cancer. Is there any similar thoughts or any similar maybe initial findings when it comes to the exercise component of, of working with and preventing and treating cancer? Yeah. So, you know, when I referenced earlier that ASCO guideline, again, American Society of Clinical Oncology, it really came out in the spring of last year, 2022. And the exercise recommendation was actually specifically for individuals undergoing cancer treatment. It didn't really say which type of cancer. So it really is a general recommendation about the key role of physical activity for those going through cancer treatment. But I would say a lot of the data is, you know, from patients with breast cancer, colon, prostate cancer, because, you know, those cancers are very prevalent and therefore we just have more data um, for those particular populations. But I do think there's definitely emerging data for those with other types of cancers, including pediatric cancers, just really demonstrating how exercise really should be a key recommendation um, as part of cancer treatment. And I will say, shout out to you and those who are passionate about running and who coach runners and who have that expertise. As a field, as oncologists or in medicine in general, we do need help from our colleagues in terms of providing appropriate exercise recommendations to someone who's starting a new exercise program, whether it's running, strength training, yoga, whatever that may be. Um, certainly, even at our great hospitals, we don't have a ton of resources to provide this type of instruction to our patients. So this is an area where we can all work together to improve education and and helping coach our patients as they want to embark on an exercise program. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and I think I think we can probably comfortably say that, um, you know, exercise isn't going to be bad for you, right? Whatever right. whatever type of, of you know potential cancers or potential things, you know, what what is it is it Hippocrates is it medicine, you know, that that uh, movement be the medicine or, or somewhere along the lines. Or is it yeah, walking is man's best medicine for sure. Yeah, <laughs> and so and so you know, I I, I certainly. You know, and I'm biased. I'll admit my, my biases towards towards exercise and, and activity. I have personal training background, and athletic training is my original career path. So I've always awesome. been kind of in the the sport medicine type of field. Um, but like, I just feel like we were we were made to move, and you know, not that not that movement prevents everything, just like not that anything prevents everything. But boy, it, it helps our bodies. To see, just seems to anecdotally, at least, seems to help them function optimally. So, you know, keep running, keep lifting, keep swimming, keep doing whatever it is that you enjoy doing. Obviously, again, we're talking to runners, so preaching to the choirs about running, but man, it's just, it's just, I, I just, I guess I'm encouraged that there's, you know, even more research coming out that shows like, yeah, this, this activity, this exercise thing, um, it's pretty good for us. And, and we just need to keep doing that as much as we can. 
Definitely. Yes, we're on the same page. And certainly there's so much data. I mean, we can talk about it, cardiovascular disease and so many other chronic diseases that we all face, certainly in the United States and around the world. And therefore, staying active is just so important for all of these reasons that we've discussed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as, as we're getting uh, kind of close to, to wrapping things up, I'm going to give you one more one more question here, Amy. I, I call it the philosophical question. It's kind of how I wrap things up. And it's, it's kind of like the introductory question, uh, just very much open-ended. You can take it whichever way you want to go with it. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to, I'll try to not answer, answer, or I'll try not to ask any follow-up questions based on your answer, but no promises. I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> But uh, just kind of curious, you know, at, at, at this point in, in your life, um, what does it mean to you to call yourself a runner? You know, I mean, you've been, been running for, for a while. Like you said, kind of started back in the, in the Georgia days, um, running all through, through med school and, and, you know, obviously getting into to running the Boston Marathon for the last decade plus or, you know, running races for the last decade plus the marathon, Boston Marathon in the last 10 years and, and ongoing. Um, but when, when, you know, obviously we, we all have a bunch of different labels and, you know, mom and wife and doctor and, and friend and, and all of the labels that you have, but runner is one of them. Um, so when somebody says, Oh, there's my friend, Dr. Amy, and she's, she's a runner, she's run the Boston marathon. Um, what do you hope that that label of being a runner says about you? Such a great question as a closing question. And I honestly love running for so many reasons we've discussed, um, in the course of this podcast, but I also truly love running for a cause that I'm passionate about. And when I think about why I like to do this or what motivates me when I'm training or obviously on race day, I actually think about a quote from one of my favorite runners, shout out to Des Linden, winner of the American, you know, American woman who won the Boston Marathon in 2018, which was such a grueling day, by the way. Um, She has this quote, remember your why. When things get hard, you have the decision to bail or you can remember your why. And I absolutely love that. And when I'm having a hard time with motivation, getting myself out the door or during a race, I just think about those words. And often I'm running, you know, to support cancer or my patients who are facing such immense challenges. And I'm so grateful to be able to get out and do this. And so Des's words really resonate with me. I love it. And thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Amy. And, and once again, y'all, if you enjoyed today's conversation, um, want to stay in touch with, with Dr. Amy and maybe, you know, like she said, talking about, you know, different information as, re- as regards to uh, how exercise can, can you know, do so many good things for us, but certainly on the cancer front as well. Um, on Instagram and on Twitter, on the social media is at Dr. Amy Commander. And again, that's A-M-Y-C-O-M-A-N-D-E-R, doctor, just the, just the letters, just D-R. No, no, no need to spell it all out there. Uh, but on Instagram and Twitter, both places at Dr. Amy Commander. Uh, Dizruns.com slash 1176 will get you back to the show notes for today. As always, we'll have everything linked up, social medias and otherwise. Um, so make sure you check that out. If you're out on the go and you want to connect with Amy, we'll have it for you real simple. Uh, Amy, thank you so much for taking the time today. Like I said beforehand, you've got, you've got much bigger fish to fry than, than talking to some schmuck like me, but uh, thank Aww, you for, no, thank you for sharing. I, I'm self-deprecating, if nothing else, but uh, thank you for, for sharing some of, uh, some of your story and certainly some of the things that you're working on. Um, please continue to do, to do such great work in, in, you know, in the lives of your patients, but maybe in the lives of us, us you know, just general population that, that are learning and, and uh, appreciate you being on the cutting edge and, and sharing some of that today. And um, just nothing but the best for you going forward. But thank you so much for the time today. Thank you so much for this fun opportunity and keep doing your great work as well. 
Thank you. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode of the show. Hope you enjoyed the conversation between Dr. Amy and myself. And as per usual, I'd be curious to know what stood out to, to you from today's episode. What was your takeaway du jour? Say it with me now. Come on. Come on. Hey, say it with me. Du jour. Um, for me, it, it was really, I mean, there's so, so many things, um, but uh, I, I think he- head and shoulders above the rest was the idea of, you know, kind of the 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 research that continues to grow um, about exercise being a, a cancer fighter. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I know for me, so often I think about exercise and, and certainly running, you know, I mean, obviously that's, that's kind of near and dear to all of our hearts, I think. Um, but, but I think of exercise and, and being active and running and strength training and all the things as hopefully a preventative, right? Hopefully it helps, you know, and, and we've talked to people, it's been a minute, but we've talked to people that are, are in the, the neurological space and, and how, you know, exercise and especially cardiovascular exercise can be huge in terms of, of maintaining brain health and, and, and hopefully trying to mitigate the risk of Alzheimer's and dementia and things like that. Um, and I feel like, you know, I've heard that before and, and, and I don't know whether we've talked about it with other folks before or, or it's come up here and there, but I feel like, you know, I, like I've, I've always kind of thought that in, in terms of trying to prevent all kinds of diseases, cancer certainly being one of them. Um, but I don't think memory serves that I've ever heard, you know, before talking to, to Amy about, you know, exercise being a thing to, to help fight some of these diseases. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe it has me rethinking just a little bit. Some of the, the ideas in terms of like, when you're sick, should you exercise? Now, maybe you should tone back the, the intensity. Maybe, maybe when you're sick, isn't the time to go out there and hammer repeats or anything like that. Um, but maybe going for a walk, you know, maybe some yoga, some, some, some movement, some things that are still exercise to help with day-to-day, you know, colds and things like that. I don't know. I, I mean, and I'm not trying to recommend that you do that, but it's just got my, got me, me thinking a little bit. If, if exercise is a good treatment, maybe not in isolation. And, and certainly Amy didn't say that didn't insinuate that by any stretch, but if that's part of the protocol to hopefully defeat cancer, right. To, to, to fight a cancer diagnosis is do different treatments, but also exercise move. Um, just makes me wonder what else in terms of whether it's, it's long-term diseases, whether it's just, you know, a cold or, or the sniffles or a case of the crud, um, maybe don't push it, but maybe get out and move, you know, and, and maybe just, maybe there's, there's some, some, and I'm sure there is. I mean, I feel like I've seen this before and I'm, I'm not going to get into too many of the details cause I'll get myself in trouble talking out of, you know, the wrong side at the, ro- the wrong end of the, uh, the GI tract here. Um, but like, you know, activating the immune system, getting things fired up. And if it, if it's good enough to help attack cancer cells, then by God, maybe it's good enough to attack a, a norovirus, right? Um, anyway, so, so just, just, you know, head is still kind of spinning a little bit. Um, and certainly looking forward to, to as more research comes out and there's more indications of not only how good running and, and other forms of exercise may be to preventing disease. Um, the idea that that could be part of disease fighting, um, is music to this guy's ears. You know, not, not that we want to get sick, right? Not that I'm hoping that I ever get cancer, but if I do, uh, I guess that means I, you know, b- better double down on, on races and training and, and, and being active. Right. So anyway, that was my takeaway exercise. It's a good way to fight cancer. 
I, you know, again, not that I want cancer, but we'll keep exercising. We'll keep moving, try to prevent it. And if we can't prevent it, then by God, we're going to fight it that way too. So anyway, that was my takeaway. What about you? What stood out to you from today's episode? If you're willing to share it, as always, I'd love to hear it at Diz Runs on Twitter, at Diz Runs on Instagram, at Diz Runs on the threads. If Are we still doing threads? I don't know. I check it every couple of days, so you can hit me up there as well. Uh, one way or the other, let me know what stood out to you from today's episode. You can also shoot an email, DizRuns at gmail.com. And of course, if you'd rather head over to the show notes for today, DizRuns.com slash 1176 is the link that will get you there. Links, photos, the whole nine, including that comment section down at the bottom. Feel free to share your takeaways to your little heart's content and uh, know that I do appreciate hearing back from y'all. When when you do open up, share a little something, um, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So whatever works best for you works best for me. Uh, you know what else works best for you? I, I can say this comfortably. A customized training plan works better for you than a one-size-fits-no-one training plan. So if, if you're not in the market to hire a coach or to work with somebody one-on-one, who, if you are in that market, I know a guy, but if you're not, I, I know of a book, Be Ready on Race Day, can help you get all of the customizable tweaks and, and really make your plan your own with, uh, you know, at the cost of a book as opposed to the cost of hiring somebody like myself. Uh, a little bit cheaper, I'll tell you that much. A little bit cheaper to buy the book than to, than to buy me. Um, but if you want the book, be ready on com is the website. Get yourself some sample chapters, order a copy from me, or just go to, go to the Amazon and, uh, you can one click a, a, a book from there as well. Again, just search for be ready on race day on Amazon or be ready on race day.com is the website. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Y'all thanks for the time. Thanks for the attention. Thanks for taking Amy and I with you today. And until next time, y'all be well, take good care. Thanks again for listening. And, uh, we'll talk soon, right? Later y'all.